0: We'll yeah.
1: to do was order a pizza okay and then the ai said hey i I, you didn't put an apartment number and i was like but but i did i put an apartment because i've ordered from you a hundred times does it not recognize your end grams apparently not (laughs) golly come on papa john's get your stuff together (laughs) give me my pizza hungry over here Good day to you all. Welcome to the show. My name is Matt. I'm coming at you from Austin. And coming to you from Planet Houston is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. Hailing frequencies are open. Well, I sure hope so. This week we are talking about the ultimate computer. But is it the ultimate computer? Will it do everything that Daystrom wanted to? Did Starfleet handle this poorly with Captain Kirk? I don't know. But first, let's get uh, behind the scenes like we always do with these... uh, with these episodes talk about uh the creative process basically how things end up on screen and we'll get a move on here we go so as i said we've seen this before right kirk trying to uh you know fight a computer using logic to outsmart it saw one in a taste of armageddon the return of the archons the apple we've also seen uh the changeling and uh, then there's also, you know, the fun iMud episode that we saw this season where the, you know, Kirk just basically asked to outthink an AI. So, that was a big concern in the background of uh, this episode. It was like, haven't we done this before? Isn't this similar? We'll see you know, you in the
2: third season, too.
1: Oh, really? There's another one coming?
2: Yeah, it's uh, is it Menagerie for... <laughs> Requiem for Menagerie? I don't know. It's a. Uh, Kirk encounters a 3,000 year old man who okay. has made a series of robots to be his consorts. Guy. Okay. But for whatever reason, he needs Kirk to teach them how to love. <laughs> oh, okay. Can't wait. <laughs> and then and at the end, the robots can't decide between Kirk and the 3,000 year old man. And they they go through the same problem.
0: <laughs> oh boy.
2: I mean just describing the episode is kind of ridiculous.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, what's this all about? This is craziness. Well, how do you feel about this one? How do you think this one uh this one works out? Oh, it's really good
2: because uh while we do have this same problem of or this same trope, Kirk's going to shut down a computer by, uh, you know,
1: giving it a logic bomb. Well, this one's almost compassion, almost this one, that you know, right. they say, at least at the end.
2: Um, we do put Kirk in a kind of a
1: new position. Well, so this uh, episode was originally written by a guy named Lawrence N. Wolf. Uh, he had never sold a screenplay ever in his life before. In fact, he was a mathematician with an interest in computers. Uh, he was also a fan of Star Trek, so he was like, "I'm going to write this story," and he sent it off to uh, Gene Roddenberry. And sure enough, they got it taken care of. Now, what's interesting, of course, is that this is still this episode is still six months before 2001: A Space Odyssey comes out. So the fact that we get this episode, you know, another man versus a machine episode, so close to you know what becomes basically the ultimate, you know, man versus a machine story. Uh, Unlocking the uh, the big doors, Hal. Yeah, exactly. So as a first draft, Gene Roddenberry loved this one. Uh in the background, he's toiling with Omega Glory and Return to Tomorrow, which are coming up. They were both still being written and needed a lot of help. And Roddenberry went so far as to call them disasters. So he was like, This one's close. Let's 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 get this one up and running. And of course, DC Fontana was like, I mean, I know it's the closest to being done, but haven't we done this before? Is there some kind of new ground we can work on? And uh, basically they were like, uh, we don't know, but here it is, DC, <laughs> you write it. <laughs> so... Which is exactly that, the way you want to approach something like this, right? right?
2: You're like, ooh, we're we're in familiar territory here. Cock- uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to shut down a machine with a logic bomb. Right. Uh, how do we put a, a new spin on that so that it's not, you know, like... A, Basically, same old, same old. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Roddenberry went on to say that I think that this uh, episode needs more of Kirk's feelings on this move by Starfleet, right? Like, come on, guys, what are we talking about here? Talking about getting rid of me? Captain Dunsel, is that what we're talking about? Uh, And then he also felt the original script uh, didn't have enough action in it. So, uh, which, you know, the final one has a lot of it off screen. (laughs) we don't get to see a lot of the a lot of those cool battles we just hear about them in typical john gene, the, mm-hmm, john john <laughs> Good. <ahead. laughs> yeah, killing it tonight
2: that, that's how we got two parking spaces at uh <laughs> at desi Little.
0: yeah
1: my brother john's working you can pay him too he's getting double paychecks <laughs> all right in typical gene Roddenberry fashion He uh, asked for the inclusion of an ending where disaster is averted at just the last minute. We've seen that, of course, many times before. Uh, Ticking clocks and all that. Justman liked the script, said, hey, at least this is going to be cheap and easy to produce. You know, and we already have shots of the Enterprise in front of a a star base, so we can just reuse those. He also had an idea about introducing a Romulan warship in the middle of the war games, which would have thrown a little wrench into it, but uh, they ultimately pulled that out
0: hmm
1: so dc fontana writes up a bunch of notes she says okay let's do this let's do this da, 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 da. gave it back to wolf wolf then hands back a rewrite where not a lot had changed in their opinion so again dc fontana's yeah. like hey we've done this before let's just move on with this script but again, everyone behind the scenes is saying it's the closest to being done. It's the cheapest thing that we can we can produce. Let's just do it. But the thing about
2: a a, a script like that is it's a bottle, right? Ship in a bottle. Yep. You, you don't go anywhere. You don't do anything. the The fundamentals are what
1: we've already, you know. It's in a, it's in the ship. Mm-hmm. Easy to film. Exactly. This, of course, however, leads to a huge problem, which is that NBC didn't put their stamp of approval on this story idea. We talked about this a few weeks ago, where you know uh, you mentioned yeah. that the, uh, the writers weren't, oh, sorry, that the writers were writing week to week, right? Like they're filming one, they're still behind the scenes typing up another one. Uh, this script, in fact, was written partially over a weekend Like they had two, she had the opening and the act one written on Friday, on Saturday act two, on Sunday act three, on Monday act four, and then they filmed on Tuesday. So you're like, wow, they're getting stuff done. But again, because NBC didn't put their stamp of approval on this, good old Stan Robertson's like, you guys have got to stop doing this. You can film this episode, but if, you know, you send it to us and we hate it, we're we're not going to air it. So it's a gamble. And a costly one, too, right? Because, you know, they film a whole episode and then, boom, it's not going up on air. It's a bunch of wasted money.
2: So, uh, like, there's things they could do, right? Okay. One is, we're just going to spend two days or a day and a half or whatever it takes to reshoot scenes that they didn't like, to change the story in such a way that... Or you do kind of memory you know stuff where it's like uh do you remember that time when captain kirk went crazy and had that obsession dun, 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 and then like you you bring back just enough that like this is the stuff they approved yeah but you're, you're gonna if they say no you don't just throw it in the trash and go oh well that was a hundred thousand dollars wasted you know, right. you're gonna figure out can we save this for twenty thousand dollars yeah what do we what do we need to do to make what we this week of work and all this filming viable again?
0: Yeah.
2: And it's either going to be some kind of reshoots or other way to reuse that material.
1: Yeah. So obviously, we're watching this episode. We know that it must have gone through. So there's right. that. But wouldn't it be interesting to think that somewhere that they, obviously this didn't happen either because it would have come out by now. But wouldn't it have been interesting to think that there might be like some unaired episode that's still sitting in a can somewhere that never got yeah. shot? You know, and all so of a sudden they, they pull never it out. About it. Yeah. That'd be amazing. And it's not even a bad episode. It'd be like this, but the NBC just didn't like it. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, oh, boy. Yeah, like
2: it, it It was, it leaned to, like this one leans into a flaw of Captain Kirk, right? The hero. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you could have had one that that there was more of a flaw, right? And it gets resolved by the end of the episode with, with the friend of, you know, good buddy, uh, you know, McCoy, who's able to help him do some psychological stuff and good buddy Spock. Who's his you know, right hand man is going to stand by him no matter what. But yeah. still, it's like, this is not our hero being heroic. This is our hero dealing with some dark stuff, and we don't like it. Hero is yeah. supposed to be strong and, you know, feral, not, you know, being talked to by a therapist, dude. What's that all about? We don't need that. <laughs> you
1: know? Especially in the 60s. Oh my gosh. In the middle of all this, Lawrence Wolf, though, is upset because, uh, he uh, finds out that someone's Therapy's been rewriting.
2: Candy Pink Stove. What's that? Therapy's the new Candy Pink Stove. How's that? That's a Mad Men reference. Oh. We're in the 60s. <laughs> so I, I went to the 60s. I
1: heard. I went to a deep cut, too. That's for sure. So in the middle of all this, Lawrence uh, was upset because someone was rewriting a script. And not only that, but that DC Fontana was asking for sole teleplay credit. So Roddenberry sends out a letter, which he has sent out similar ones to before, including to Ray Bradbury that basically said like, hey, you know, uh, we've been sending you the rewrites. So you kind of already knew this was happening. And it's just standard practice for the person who's asking for teleplay credit to put their name on the cover sheet by themselves. And uh, the WGA will end up ultimately arbitrating who gets their names and who doesn't. However, the D- WGA actually decides, like, ah, we're just going to give Fontana sole credit. So, in a bit of diplomacy, Roddenberry decides he's going to buy another story that this guy had written, that Wolf had written, and they end up never using it. So, there we go. Sometimes those are the things you have to do to to placate the talent, right? Yep, exactly. Talking about the actors a little bit, William Marshall was booked to play uh, Richard Daystrom. He was forty three. Besides, of course, uh, this episode, he had done several episodes of other programming all throughout the 60s and into the 70s. But his biggest claim to fame is playing in the exploitation film Blackula. You can just imagine what that's like. Uh, and again, what we see here is obviously just another uh, use of Star Trek using a diverse and important member of Starfleet who's way up high the food chain, you know, continuing to prove that no one cares about race anymore. Once you go to space and you find people with three nostrils, I guess at that point the color of your skin doesn't matter anymore, or their green blood.
2: Well, I also think that uh, they're trying to suggest that that the world, Earth, has become fully developed, fully industrialized, fully, and that because he seems to have a kind of a, um, you know, African vocal patterns, right. Mm-hmm. As though you know there's some amazing university in Ghana or Nigeria or something that this guy you know got his bachelor's degree in before going to Starfleet or whatever he whatever he did, and that it's not just you know some guy who went to the French school or you know Harvard or something that's getting the the amazing. You know, because they really talk about how his work was the basis of basically all computerization.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And saying that this guy came from Africa is a way in the 60s to really say the whole world is modern. You know, nobody's been left behind. There's no third world developing world because these are huge issues in the 60s. Right. Yeah. Is is getting the rest of the world to the same level as the, the first world.
1: Barry Russo, here, who plays Commodore Wesley, was featured in The Devil in the Dark as Lieutenant Commander Giotto. So he was once another member of the uh, Enterprise. We've also been told previously in this show that there are 12 other Constitution class starships. Obviously, we have the one that was destroyed in the Doomsday Machine that was the USS Constellation. We've encountered the Lexington, the Hood, the Potemkin, the Excalibur. And yet to come, we still have the Exeter and the Omega Glory, the Defiant and the Tholian Web. And then uh, two other ones that were mentioned but never seen are the Farragut and the Intrepid, which really only puts us at ten. Don't so we
2: see you... the Don't we see the in- Intrepid in the? No, we see the Intrepid in the Enterprise version of the Tholian Web. We hear about the Intrepid, mm-hmm. but we yeah. actually see it when uh, when uh, the Intrepid goes back in that. You know, uh, uh, it's a great episode because it's got. It's not only does it have the Tholians, but it's also got the Mirror Universe. It's, it's got all kinds of good stuff.
1: Crazy. Is that Discovery?
2: No, it's uh, Enterprise.
1: Oh, Enterprise.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, so Mirror Universe Scott Bakula basically steals the, the uh, Intrepid from the Tholians, and that's how he builds the Earth Empire. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. He steals gotcha. a future ship.
1: And comes back and dominates.
2: Yeah. Wow. Because by the time we get to Enterprise, the Tholians have a bunch of additional lore that's been added onto them. Because basically all we really get out of the Tholians in the original series is that they're they're very alien and they build this web, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't really see them or encounter them. But over time, they've been all worked into like a – they don't exist in a single timeline. They're like – you know, existing in multiple times and it, it's kind of, and they're they lean into the insectoid part.
1: Mm, interesting.
2: So they're like an insectoid species that does not breathe air, they have a whole different atmosphere stuff. So if you go on their ships you gotta wear the the
1: Space whole suit. suits. Yeah. Are they the like the really <laughs> are they the, the like pop ones that, that they wore in uh, in uh Da crap. Never mind, my joke's dumb anyway. <laughs> uh, What's the name of that one? The naked now. That's what I'm trying I'm to say. Yeah, yeah. They look like they look like pop. What are the pop paper? What is it called? Pla- pop wrap? wrap. Bubble wrap. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just to keep you safe. Yeah, definitely. As it worked so well for them. Uh, fun fact here that the uh, obviously the. Uh, or, or when they cut to uh, the Commodore on his ship, he uh, is actually sitting in a very different chair than the normal captain's chair. And in fact, it's a redress uh, from the Mirror Enterprise from Mirror Mirror. So uh, that's the uh, that's what the Commodore is sitting in. He's all comfy in his high back chair. Uh, this was uh, We also filmed this episode, obviously, in the days before Steadicam, because Steadicam wouldn't be out for at least another 20, 30 years. To get the shot of them walking and talking like they do in the episode. They get uh, they uh, had to, like, take out some walls and they had to put down a dolly track and they had to oil it up really well so that you didn't hear it. So uh, that's how they get that. And then to get the reverse shot where they go back where it's just Kirk and Spock later, um, they actually couldn't change any of the lighting or anything because of how a little time they had. So they actually had to film Kirk and McCoy like walking away with their backs to the audience where they were, you know, occasionally turning to like talk to each other and whatnot. So that's how the, uh, that's how the uh, that that was shot, which is very. I, it was. I, it even stood out to me. I'm like, wow, that's really cool for back then. Uh, as one can probably tell by this episode, Bill Marshall is very tall, and as we have discussed before, uh, Hero Shatner does not like to look small uh, among other people. So the old apple crate was in use again. And uh, it really made Marshall upset because there were also episodes where, or uh, also scenes where he was basically kneeling so that they could get the proper shot over his shoulder uh, and making Kirk look taller. Marshall said, uh, "William Shatner was a bit of a bother. There was an ego there that I would rather have not have had experience with." Marshall, though, was not saying that Chetner was unpleasant because he goes on to say, he seemed to be admiring me, which is okay, but you get a little worried about that because all you care about in the end is, will this exchange with this man be believable in the show? And for the most part, I think it worked, he says. So that's it. That's all I got from behind the scenes. Uh. So, you know, like we do, let's do it. Captain's log. Starting.
0: It's five-year mission.
1: So, this episode begins with the Enterprise sliding into a Starbase. And it's all so secretive. So secretive that Kirk is pissed off about it. What's it all about? He asks uh, the Starbase. But they beam aboard Commodore Wesley. And you automatically get the, like, chumminess between them, right? Like, you could also imagine that they had drinks a a time or two.
2: Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Bob, says Kirk, what's it all about?
2: And you can imagine that Commodore Wesley... uh kind of relied on the fact that once I'm over there, right, the ship's captain will be okay. Yeah. He and I have a history. He trusts me. Um So even though for security reasons, we're not explaining to him what's going on. Once he sees me,
1: it'll be cool. We went to that Orion strip club one time and uh, <laughs> really hit it off. Wesley replies with the line, a singular honor. He says, The M5. The M5, the all-new multitronic unit made by Richard Daystrom, and it's the most ambitious computer complex that's ever been created. Its purpose is to correlate all computer systems and to operate and control a single starship all on its own. Coming this Christmas. So first, let's talk about the use of some of these terms, um, Mm. like multitronic. Uh It's not just electronic, it's multitronic. And of
2: course, they point out that the previous version was duotronic.
1: That's right. Oh, my gosh.
2: And of course, in the future, we'll find out that the next step is
1: positronic. Positronic. Also, uh, the use of the word complex. It's the most ambitious computer complex that's ever been created. Because as we know, computers in the 60s took up entire rooms. So you have to imagine, if we extrapolate from the 60s, that computers will soon take up entire buildings. That's how big they'll be. I also, so here's an interesting thing about Daystrom, is that I didn't know he was a real person. Because mm-hmm. obviously this is one of the episodes I don't remember seeing ever in the past. And right. they talk about, in Next Generation, the Daystrom oh, all Institute. all the time. Yeah. All the time. It ended and up the card. The card.
2: Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's a critical thing. They go to the Daystrom Institute and they meet the girl who then goes with them. And...
1: Yep. So funny that we then get here and here we are in the Daystrom yeah. Institute. Uh, or, or, or we meet the real Daystrom for whom the Institute's named after.
2: And the thing is, it may exist now,
1: uh-huh. but
2: someone's not going to say, it's Richard Daystrom from the Daystrom Institute, because c- of course he is. It's like saying, yes. you know, here's Mr. Smith from the office of Mr. Smith. <laughs>
1: Here's Mr. Sears, you know, from the Sears Tower. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Here's Mr. Harvard from Harvard University. That may be a little funny. Anyway, so Spock starts to talk about what he knows about the, uh, which is what I just quoted there. And uh, Commodore Wesley's like, yep, Commodore Wesley's like, how do you know all this? And he's like, I hold an A7 computer classification.
2: Actually, I think what he said was uh, Mr. Exposition. (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs)
1: Spock holds that role a lot Yeah Uh, But it's funny because if you look it almost makes, you can see like the the actor reacting as Wesley like almost mad that he knows this you know, it's like you shouldn't have this information Yes, exactly Uh, The Commodore goes on to tell Kirk that his crew will be removed and that a crew of 20 will be left on board I can't run a spaceship on a crew of 20, but the M5 can So what am I supposed to do? You've got the easiest job. Just sit back and let the M5 do all the work. Opening credits.
2: So it's at this point that we get a bunch of weird stuff going on. Okay. Right? Because, you know, we watch something like this here in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And the idea that oh, you're not going to have to work today because we've got, we're have we going to test a machine to do this work, seems perfectly reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you go into work and they're like, oh, look, we've got a new, you know, mixing machine or a new, you know, timer thing that does the, you don't have to do what you used to do anymore. Uh, it does everything,
0: yeah,
2: right? You're like, this seems perfectly reasonable. I mean, at some point, you've got, uh, you know, Ray Kroc bringing out his multi-mixers. I'm going back to the 60s here. Yeah. You've got the fry machine, which you know had the timer and like the, the correct temperatures and it was like you don't have to cook it the old way where you basically are a cook. This thing yeah. does everything. You just have to lift the bag and in fact now they have a thing that'll bring the basket up too. Yep. So the fact that they're all responding like, What? My job could be replaced by a machine? This is so un I've never thought of anything like this. Yeah. Which is kind of odd because this is
1: I put my binder down like a goofball. <laughs> well, I don't have a binder. I have everything on my computer so I can just keep looking into the camera.
2: Well, I, I do all this at work. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> fair. I don't, fair. I'm not, I don't have that luxury.
2: Yeah. Um, this is an old story, as it turns out. In fact, it's so old that we might get a hint of it from Lieutenant and in uh, uh, Star Trek Six, which he says, 400 years ago, on the planet Earth, workers who felt their livelihood threatened by automation flung their wooden shoes called sabots oh. into the machine to stop them, hence the word sabotage. Oh. So this is, you know, an old problem, right? Yeah. But more than that, there is a classic play. So classic, we don't even know it anymore. It's become ubiquitous.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it is the play R.U.R. It was a Czech play done in 1921. And the name of the R-U-R stands for Rossum's Universal Robots. And Rossum is similar to the Czech word Rosum, which means reason, the thinking faculty in Czech. And robot is the Czech word for serfdom. So I'm Mm -hmm. going to put on my 18th century Austrian history hat here for a moment, and you see the phrase performance of the robot, or just uh, robota, and it often refers to the manorial obligation of the tenant labor. And so this play is performed in 1921, and it is such a hit. By 1923, it had been translated into 30 languages, and as a result, the word robot, which in Czech means serfdom, becomes the universal word for machine person. Right.
0: Enjoy. Although
2: in the play, they were um, they were organic, but they were still manufactured. So like there's one that they meet that was like, uh, so where were you born? Uh, here in the factory. You were born in the factory. No, I was me in the factory. What? Mm-hmm. This is to you, this isn't a person. This is a robot. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. So th- this story about the, the rise of the robots and how at first they're happy servants, but then they overthrow humanity and destroy humanity is like this story we see all over the place. It mm. is, you put it in space, it's Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Let's make it an amusement park. Oh, that's Westworld. Oh, let's give it a noir feel. Oh, that's Blade Runner. Um, let's give it some time travel. That's the Terminator. Uh, well, OK, so if this has all happened. It's in the past. And now we've had a Butlerian jihad to suppress the AI. Now we're doing Dune. Mm-hmm. Right. This story of the rise of the robots is familiar to us. And it actually comes from this play, which has then been done over and over again. So Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, which date from 1942, reflects the this writer's problem, how do I write a robot story that doesn't end in the robots taking over because everyone knows that's how a robot story has to end? I have to I have to put into the story an explanation for why I didn't end up with robot AI takeover. Right. Oh, I'll have three laws of robotics that'll make the robots good servants and they won't no AI takeover. Right. You know, you don't need that if we don't have this this other story is the template. So, when we see Kirk going, how how could, how could they run a ship with, my, with a computer? How, how mm-hmm. could they replace my job? Or how could they replace, the, like the other thing is, of course, which they don't talk about because they only talk about it for Kirk, is what about all those other dudes? You know, the other 400 people on the Enterprise. Yeah. If, if they're unnecessary, and they're obviously unnecessary because they're not even in the trial. Right? Yeah. This is like, this is like the manager at the McDonald's going, "Oh my God, you can make fries without a, a fry cook. Are you going to replace me? It will hmm. know how many fries to cook. I don't have to put in the order. But what about the fry cook? Yeah, <laughs> he's actually been I like, told it since he's got a day off. He's not even watching the process.
1: Right. If you're the captain of the Enterprise, you uh, definitely have a lot of more career opportunities than uh, the ensign who was down in engineering is like. Well, I guess I'm useless now.
0: Well,
2: and you know. Part of the job of the captain is traditionally the interface between the ship and the admiralty.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? So unless you're gonna be that oarship, which is completely robotic,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you're gonna have, you know, some kind of crew that would do something like, well, someone's got to beam down to greet the the delegation. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless unless the purpose of these ships is merely to patrol the frontier. And to, you know, it's like at that point, they're almost like, Bomb robots, right? Right. Oh, someone's planted a bomb. sent to the bomb robot. Oh, we've got Klingon set, You know, readings on the border. Send out the robot ship. But a lot of what the Enterprise does isn't just we're going to send out a survey crew or whatever. Right. But and so, in a sense, you could almost imagine the ship with with a survey crew, with people to go down and do the geology and yeah, and stuff first like first
0: contact or
2: right. Yeah. But, you know, there's got to be someone there to to do that kind of work.
1: Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, what else? What the heck? And what if, you know, anything breaks? You know, the computer might not be able to fix the, you know, they can maybe relocate a circuit like he does later. But, you know, if there's a big physical explosion or something, you know, they need a damage repair. Yeah, exactly. Stardate 4729.4. So they've left the starbase, just a crew of twenty, and somehow part of that crew is also <laughs> Doctor McCoy. Somehow.
2: Well, he's a commander.
1: Oh, that I guess. Well, there you go. Uh, we cut to the turbo lift with Bones and Spock and Kirk. <laughs> Which, of course, now I make the joke. Uh, sorry, I, I, I pulled the joke quicker than I had even written the joke. <laughs> yeah. But I make that joke, and then seconds later, uh, Spock makes the same joke, like. I don't even know what you're doing here. Uh, Bones immediately doesn't like.
2: I watched that scene and immediately thought
1: of, is it a recommendation
2: from Spock that eventually gets us the EMH?
0: Oh,
1: that could be.
2: You could totally imagine, you know, uh, Spock's, you know, sending these notes back to Starfleet. They're like, you know, we we could just have a holographic doctor. We don't need a real (laughs) doctor.
1: Sounds like a bad plan. As we've seen. But one that Spock might devise. That's right. Uh, Bones immediately doesn't like it. How's the computer supposed to run with a ship this big? It asks. One sec. That sounds like pizza. So, uh, they exit the lift and they make their way to engineering. Daystrom is there. Bones throws out, uh, the exact problem that we're about to run into. If this thing doesn't work, are there enough men on, uh, on board to fly the ship back?
2: Yeah, so, like, this seems like a weird problem. Like, out of all the things that could go wrong, that is not the one. But, uh, why do they go to this one?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the one I'd be the most worried about, like, uh...
2: Well, and be able to get
1: home if we're out in the middle of nowhere? Plus, well, so one, I'm imagining they're not
2: really going out in the middle of nowhere.
1: They're just going to be, you That's know, fair. a few,
2: you know, a few, uh, whatever from the the star base.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: you just send out a, basically a tow truck.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? Someone's going to show up, put a tractor beam on you, and bring you back. Or they show up with a crew. You, right? This is the other tow truck, right? Tow right. truck comes out. Uh, you know, drops off uh, enough
1: people to fly the ship.
2: Crew of it, well, or crew of engineers comes in, fixes what's broken, and boom. Well,
1: that's because worst case scenario is what happens, <laughs> so they don't want to talk about. They don't want to give away the plot of the episode.
2: Right, but it 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 does feel like it's all like Chekhov's gun in bright lights, right? This <laughs> yeah, is Chekhov's gun. This is what the episode is about. <laughs> Rather than you know, ha- had they had had uh, Bones come up with some other theory of how things could have gone catastrophically wrong. Yeah. And they'd been like, no, that won't happen. Ha ha ha. And then of course that doesn't happen. This other really bad thing happens. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, like, Bones wasn't necessarily, you know, on the head of the nail. But he was bringing up some good points. It got ignored, and you know, obviously things could have gone wrong. But it just felt like this is Chekhov's gun.
1: Yeah. Uh, So Scott, on Kirk's orders, plugs the M5 into the main power banks, and uh, I—it's we—I don't know what that giant pulse is that's coming from the M5 into the into the uh, into the computers, but it looks very futuristic.
2: You got to show.
1: That's right, exactly. Kirk asks why this is called the M5 and not the M1. One? Yes. Daystrom explains that M M1, uh, the M1s through 4s were unsuccessful, but this time it's right, and it's ready to take control of the ship. Kirk, as always, is uh, speaking out for humankind. There are things a man can do that a computer can't. Right, so this is one of the themes of Star Trek, which we talked right. about
2: all the way at the beginning. Exactly. Now, Star Trek is very humanistic. Mm-hmm. It's very much about uh, humans. And, you know, we we still have this today. I think uh, the Romulans have had their own Butlerian Jihad.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? We've talked about that in Picard. It's why they refuse to have AIs. Something like this happened in the Romulan Empire. Right.
1: But probably on a much more cataclysmic
2: scale. Yeah. yeah, well, the thing is, they probably don't tolerate... The, you know, their ship's doctor going, you guys are screwing everything up. I, you know, I won't stand for it. Right. <laughs> Instead, he was just like, yeah, I'm not going to destroy my career by objecting and, you know, saying this is a bad idea. And then something goes catastrophically wrong. Like, mm. that one M5 destroys those four other starships because they don't have a Kirk who, you know, just says, no, let's just sit here. No shields quiet I'm going to trust in his humanity because the Romulans aren't like that I'm going to trust in his Romulanius (laughs) right exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to trust that this guy's not going to shoot at us right yeah so so that's actually my next note
2: one thing is just the tactic the Romulans are first strike right we, we had to like, <laughs> the whole, how this happened to the Rhine The Rhine are our first strike people.
0: That's right. right. Exactly, so yeah.
2: it's not like, you're going to watch the fleet approach and go, oh, what do we do instead? You try something like that, and all of a sudden they decloak. <laughs> he knows it, Well, that's the end of that. And the, the conclusion of the Rhine ones would be never again do we build
1: an AI. <laughs> exactly. So actually, that was going to be my, my, my next note is, is that if <clears throat> Starfleet, if especially the show, but if Starfleet is, you know, built on this premise of, like, humans are the thing, man. We're, like, people are what makes Starfleet Starfleet, then why even right. try to do this in the first place? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, again,
2: well, like... yeah, you- so situation in Picard.
1: Mm-hmm. Sorry, your internet keeps...
2: It it does feel like, you know, given... When we get all these androids, it's kind of a new thing, right? Because Mm -hmm. up until then, there's been, like, androids have been either super, super rare or they've been under suspicion. And you kind of feel like the... How does the world that has done all this stuff in which you have a Kirk, there are things that man is meant to do. Building a bunch of androids in the first place. Right. It does seem like it's such a thematic. I mean, what does Kirk do when he beeps down to a planet? He shuts off the computer. He doesn't say we're doing something productive so that man is free to engage in leisure. Artistry.
1: Anyway, Kirk says, so uh, there are things that a man can do that a computer can't. Well, that's what we're here to find out, says Damestrom. And uh, it stops Kirk dead in his tracks. The theme music plays while Kirk scowls and then walks off. In the hall, Kirk talks to Bones. He feels that there's something wrong with it. Oh, he is scowling. Yeah. Not happy. He feels that there's something wrong with it, and not in a this is going to take my job away kind of thing, but in his gut. He then stops to wonder if he's standing in the way of progress, which no man should ever do, he says. Is it really Daystrom that I'm worried about? He says, or losing the prestige of honor and being a starship captain? Am I being petty? And Bone says, if you have to ask yourself that question, then you know the answer. I like it. Always a good guy, that Doctor McCoy.
2: He is, but I, you know, it. So we talk about things that like shouldn't be hooked up to the AI, at least not right away,
1: right?
2: Uh-huh. So you know, the first thing maybe you put the AI on is your vacuum cleaner.
1: Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And you make a Roomba and it like cleans the floor while you're away. The last thing you want to do is, well, how about the security guard? Let's automate the security guard. And he'll just shoot people who are supposed to break it, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. no, let, let's not give weapons to the AI, right? Because yep. we don't want the, someone who shows up for work unexpectedly getting shot,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Someone who comes back because they forgot something in their locker getting shot. Because the AI gets confused or misinterprets what's going on.
0: Yeah.
2: And, you know, the thing is, so, like, I work nights at a hotel. And we have all kinds of weird stuff going on, right? Something you can't write an SOP for. You right. need not only intelligent people making decisions, but you're dealing with weird stuff. Not, you know, there's no... Um, you know, template that you go, OK, we've, we've written the rules, the AI will understand what's going on instead, like we don't understand what's going on until later. And you are trying to figure out. You know, should I be hostile to this person? Should I uh, accept their story? Should I let them into the building? Should I call the police? All these kinds of questions and. So in another context, in, in the hotel work, going back like 14 years, I was there when they first came up with the, uh, with the software to decide what the price of the day should be, right? And here we are 14 years later, and the only thing that software can do is the most basic and easiest part of that job, which was to figure out where do we start, right? Which was like, would almost be like, uh, not work. You would just know, you just intuit what the price of the day should be. Mm -hmm. The hard part of managing the price of the day is during the day, deciding to go up, go down, you know, fiddle with the price. Yeah. Right. So my goal would be to sell out the hotel at about 9 p.m. Right. I don't want to sell out too early because then my price was too low. I don't want to get into the wee hours of the morning because those people may not show up. You never know, who's you know, how busy it will be at one o'clock right and so you're trying to fiddle with the price go up go down as you and we don't have a capacity for that so you know we have the labor shortage just like everybody else does in these post-covid world Mm -hmm. and sometimes we don't have enough rooms clean and what we do is we just do this hard thing of shutting down the inventory and i'm like why don't we raise the price and the question i'm asked is how would we do that and i'm like well back when i used to just decide the price I would just decide the price (laughs) and I would go into the thing and I'd say, here's the price. Yeah. And apparently you guys, that question is so foreign. When I make that suggestion, you're like, how would we do that? Well, you like pick a number. I don't know. (laughs) And they're like, Oh, that's done by M5. You know, it's (laughs) like, it's a million years away. We, we have no contact with that thing. It never even occurs to them to fiddle with the price. And I'm like, Changing the price is the easiest way to adjust your inventory
0: mm-hmm.
2: how many rooms you're gonna sell without shutting down the inventory. Is it in, because yeah. they don't want to do that because it pisses off the brand, it pisses off the owners, it pisses off the management company, it makes us look stupid. Why can't you clean your room, your rooms? And I'm like, you you could solve this problem with nobody noticing, and we'd probably make a couple extra bucks. Which might make it easier to solve the labor shortage thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like so obvious to me. And this is a simple problem. Price of the day. Now we're going to give a robot a gun or a phaser, (laughs) photon torpedoes, Yeah, and say, okay, you go out to space and you just figure stuff out. Have you ever seen an episode of Star Trek? This is all they're doing is dealing with the unknown weird stuff. You know, plasma clouds, strange aliens i guessing, wait, is, is this a, a little, you know, uh, Ron Howard baby brother dude who's like three feet tall drinking and, you know, Tranya, <laughs> Just, you know, goofing with me? Or is this, you know, some super dangerous mega alien who's, you know, going to wipe out the Federation? You yeah. got to figure that stuff out. What's a computer going to do? Uh, apparently he can't figure out whether an ore freighter is a threat.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Or that he's playing a game when he's right. not playing a game. Which we also get in the movie War Games. So, you know, it's it's all over the place. AI is a bad thing. Well, so there's Can't give me my pizza.
2: There's lots of edge cases, right? Where it, it yeah. gets confusing. Mm-hmm. And there's jobs it's really really good at. Yeah. And then there's jobs that where it's awful. And I think at the end, both Spock and McCoy get it right. It's a great tool, right? Yeah. So I, I could totally understand why every front desk manager doesn't want to figure out the price. This was something I I had Excel sheets out the wazoo, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I had tons of Excel sheets measuring all different kinds of things. I looked at it so long, it really was really easy for me just to go, we ought to be at this price.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Other people aren't doing that. They're not numbers people. They're people people. Yeah and they need it's great for them to have a little tool to start them off yeah and then after that they should be able to go up or down to, to to deviate this way deviate that way and it's the deviations where all the work is really being done and that's where you need captain kirk deviations from the plan so if you think about it this way in next generation we have that kind of integration of the computer and the officer so we'll encounter the packlets, and we'll hear um, implement Riker Beta Seven, and the ship will do the things that we saw M5 do, right? Yeah. I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna accelerate. I'm gonna turn again. I'm gonna decelerate. I'm gonna target this ship. Then I'm gonna target that ship. That's all those various things. Uh, uh, Picard uh, Gamma Twelve, right?
0: Yeah.
2: They're they're doing that, but you you. You're using it as a tool, not as, well, let's just hand over, you know, command to the ship tactically to the computer and we'll just sit back and watch. Yeah. Instead, they're like, you know, the part that we're not good at the reaction time business and the whole uh, Sulu, uh, take us in this heading, this heading, sir. A uh, Can you accelerate us to this speed? Oh, this I think I just reversed those two officers, by the way. Um, take us to this speed. All right, we're going at speed now. Okay, will you fire at the thing now? Okay, I'll fire. But right? that's a that's time-consuming.
0: Yeah.
2: And you can have, a, the computer's great at, like, it just happens all together. Yeah. So you go Riker right Alpha 7,
1: and then which all that stuff of, happens. Which is kind of what happens in the next generation. Exactly. Isn't it a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, they've solved that
2: problem of yeah. how do we use the computer as a tool without making it our master? Yes. Or as Spock says, computers are
1: efficient servants, but I would not want to serve one.
0: That's right. We're
1: getting there. All right. Again, we're trying to find out. That's what we're here to find out. Uh, Daystrom lets it go, but Spock won't. He steps down to Kirk's chair and says, no, Mr. Daystrom is correct. The longer we leave the M5 in control, the more it can prove itself. Kirk says, you seem to be enjoying yourself uh, at the hand of a computer. Spock retorts with joy. No, I'm really gratified to see that Dr. Daystrom's new unit execute everything that's required of it in such an efficient manner. So we got Spock here in love with the computer.
2: Yeah, I think what it really would be, I mean, if I were to rewrite his dialogue, right, it would be, um, if we limit the test to the minimum amount, we've learned very little, but if we let the thing run for a longer period of time, we get a, a better judge of what kind of tool it actually is. Yes. I'm so let's, just let's let it run. Yeah. Let's let's collect more data. Yeah. In fact, if you know, you could just imagine you get a new device, right? A new accessory for your computer. You want to see what it can do. You want to like put it through its paces. You don't just go, "I bought it for this one thing, and I'll never use it for anything else." Right. Not that there are people who do that, but those people don't love their accessories like right. Spock does.
1: So they then commit the M5 to put the ship into orbit and, to, and then to make its own recommendation as to who is on the landing party. Something Kirk doesn't like. Orbit is achieved on its own. Powers on decks four and six go out. Scott goes to investigate. Kirk announces his plan for the landing party. The M5 then gives his recommendation for the mission and chooses a different geologist and not Kirk and McCoy.
2: Once again, I have to ask, have you seen an episode of Star Trek? I mean, you.
1: the captain so you, always goes down.
2: Not just that, but if you send the away team by themselves, okay. they get into trouble and Kirk's got to go fix it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because weird stuff is going to happen on the planet. It's going to turn out, oh, these aren't people who are just doing what we thought they were. They've got spores
0: yeah.
2: or they're run by a supercomputer. Or they're actually, you know, got a Klingon infiltrator in that community. Something's going on weird, and the captain's got to be there because it's it. Now, theoretically, there's lots of routine missions that we just don't get episodes for. Yes, it is a five-year mission. There are probably more than seventy-nine incidents, possibly. Right, and of course, there's the whole rest of Starfleet. Right, what's going on there? I'm sure there's lots of routine missions. Yeah, in which the computer would have been perfectly fine to handle it. Oh, we just need a geologist. This guy's best suited for it. Fine, we don't need the captain. But I think that you know the we see why you want to have your captain and the doctor and Spock down on the planet. Going, huh? It's weird. It seems as though something else is going on here.
1: Weird. Mm. Yeah, no intuition. Kirk questions the M5's choice. Uh, and the ensign over-the-seasoned geologist? DASIM strikes back with, or are you more concerned why they didn't choose you and Dr. McCoy? They go to the M5. The computer makes logical suggestions, says Spock. The choice, according to the M5, is due to the fact that one of the geologists had already been there before. Something Kirk didn't know. Dun, dun, dun. Which is why it's great to ask the computer. Yeah.
2: It's just that you don't go, okay, well, the computer said this is who goes, so that's who goes. Right. You go, I didn't realize that this guy had been there before. Yeah, let's let's test it out. Actually, he has more experience than we thought he would, and this is how you build up a junior officer.
1: Tastrom then asks why the captain and the dock weren't required, and the M5 calls them non-essential personnel.
2: Once again, have you ever seen an episode of Star Trek? <laughs>
1: We then find out that it's the M5 who's been shutting down all the lights in the decks. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I don't From think that was a
2: surprise. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> maybe maybe back in the 60s, but definitely not to us. Us genre-savvy people. Well, I don't think it would have surprised them either. You'd have been yeah. like, these are...
2: I mean, you know, the question should have been, is it shutting down stuff because these are non-essential in unoccupied decks? Yeah. Or... Some
1: you know, is it more. trying
2: to make parts of the ship inaccessible
1: yeah.
2: what's the reason tell me the reason but i'm on to the fact that there's this like empty decks don't need the lights on yeah because there is this question about it needs all this power 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 insatiable demand for power
1: uh so we come back from commercial and this is what i wrote we find out that the answer is quite simple no one is on those decks and they're reserving the power but is it so simple i ask Spock notices that it is now pulling more and more power uh, than before. And Daystrom explains that it's because it is more taxed and to work more, it needs more energy.
2: So we all have computers, right? Because we're doing what we're doing. Yes. And the computer does not like shut down the kitchen (laughs) because it needs all that power. Oh, my, my fruit is defrosting. I need the power to do these computations. That's right. This game you're running really requires some good graphics, so your meat's got to thaw.
1: Exactly. You want to do this, you want to do this Skype call. I need your oven.
2: <laughs> Fortunately, I've gas.
1: This is where Kirk then points out that a computer can't have an intuition like a human has. But Daystrom monologues about the days when the ship's duotronics are dinosaurs compared to what the M5 can do. But it looks like even he doesn't quite believe it at this point. He's starting, his uh, his walls are starting to come down. The bridge signals. Sensors are picking up an unidentified ship paralleling their vector. Spock now sees two ships. The M5 has ID'd them as Federation ships. The war games weren't supposed to happen, but is this supposed to be a test of the M5? It is! And Kirk tells her, her to acknowledge, but the M5 beat her to it. Kirk tells her to go to red alert, but the M5 has already beat them to it. I do find yeah. it
2: annoying that they
1: can't, that they focus on the stuff that I think would be the most
2: routine. Like, yeah, the computer's faster than you are.
0: Uh huh.
2: You know, stop trying to, like, oh, let's respond to the guest with a, we'll bring your towels. Oh, the computer's already told the guest the towels are coming.
1: But again, and if I, we go back to the 60s, right, like, their biggest concern is, is that, like, you know electronics ai are all going to take over their jobs and so here's Ahura not even getting to do her job because the yeah, computer is doing if it.
2: the purpose was to feature that like people won't have jobs because uh-huh. uh, self-driving cars are going to take all of our our jobs right then yes, our uber jobs showing that kind of makes sense yeah but being surprised by it you know, as opposed to...
1: Are they surprised or annoyed? I I, I think it's more that they're annoyed by yeah, it.
2: but they keep doing it and then being like, what? Oh, the computer went faster. Oh, like, <laughs> well, of course it did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they could have gone, has the computer already responded? Yes. Okay.
1: So the M5 fires, and it's a hit. Tense moments occur. Phasers fire again, and it hits. That changes course, and the Federation ships flee. Da, da, da. Kirk, it's a damage report. Only minor damage on one piece of plating on the Enterprise, but mo- but much more fake damage done to the rest of the of and the you, uh, Federation. You can see ship. how
2: cool that was, right? Yeah, it's accelerating. It's turning. It's giving a broadside here. It's doing this. You know, it's it's like if you play these games, right? Like Star Trek Online. Got the players who are really, really good at hitting the buttons in the right order, mm-hmm. right? They're difficult to beat. If you're going, oh, I should correct my shields. Oh, I should turn my ship. Oh, I'm not optimizing. I haven't shoot, shot more torpedoes yet. You're going to lose the battle against guys who's like, click 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 quick, 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 quick. Yep. And so, yeah, the, the computer's going to win. Because I can imagine that Commodore going, change our heading, change our speed, fire the weapons. And every time he speaks, there's another guy going, changing the heading altering the speed, yep. firing the weapons. Or, or maybe, the he's, maybe he's even got, like, the cage Spock. You know, so it's like, a <laughs> change directional settings. Directional change settings. directional settings. settings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just going to take a long time to implement stuff. Right. And, it, you know, it's too bad that nobody, it took him to the next generation to go, well, what's his name, the, the Commodore? Wesley. Implement uh, Wesley Gamma 7. Ha, ha, ha. does weird stuff. <laughs> but he doesn't have that, so he can't compete. If he did, he probably would have been just as good.
0: Because mm-hmm. that,
2: that didn't take so long that he's going to run out of Wesley stuff to do. Yeah. Right? Especially if he's all, all the way up to Wesley
1: Gamma 7. Uh, Daystrom is triumphant. Kirk is nonplussed. He turns to Spock for the eval and Spock says that the ship acted faster than any man could. It might be practical, says Kirk. And then this is where Spock says the line that you've already said. Computers are efficient servants, but a ship also runs under loyalty. Which is weird because I feel like here all of a sudden Spock has kind of done a 180. I I mean, he definitely does by the end.
2: I think Spock um, has decided that Kirk's getting pissed. Mm -hmm. And I need to to tell Spock. I'm actually in his corner. I mean, I like computers. Computers are cool. I like the new technology. I'm, I'm enjoying the new technology. But, yeah, I got your back. I mean, I understand, you know.
1: Kirk looks like he could kiss Spock at this point. <laughs> Message from the Commodore. Great job to the M5. Congrats to Captain Dunsell. And the air goes out of the room. Everyone knows, but Bones, who keeps asking, "What does it mean? What does it mean?" But Kirk exits the bridge without a word. <laughs> I actually wrote, uh, "But the Kirk, but Kirk exits the ship." <laughs> that would he have been just a better moment. An right? Exactly. It's just I'm done.
2: Yeah. I'm Captain Dunsel now. <laughs> Body floating along,
1: on the yeah, exactly. Congrats to Captain Dunsell and he floats by. Uh, what does it mean? Bones keeps asking. Spock, it is a term used by midshipmen in the academy, which means a part that serves no useful purpose.
2: And where was McCoy? Medical school? Yeah, I I guess. He had to have, like, some fundamentally different training not to know what midshipmen talk about.
1: Yeah. But then, so then I go to the question, of course, then why was... Why does the Commodore say that? That's like just that, that seems to go against everything we know about Starfleet at this point. Yeah. Like, what a jerky thing to say. Down in the captain's quarters, Bones uh, brings a plate that is covered. Kirk says, I'm not interested in eating. But again, as we've seen time and time again, including the original episode, it's not food he's brought. It's Finnegal's Folly, <laughs> a special drink that Bones uh, knows how to make that's known from here to Orion. And yet, Kirk doesn't seem to know it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) He's got a sample. He was at that Orion strip club. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I think he probably tried to order
1: him with the other guy. Kirk is melancholy. He's never felt this way before, he says. Watching his ship perform not for him, but for a bunch of circuits and relays. I felt useless.
2: They They talk so weird about computers. I mean, we have computers. We don't refer to them as circuits and relays. <laughs> true. We would say something like, you know, a bunch of chips and
1: yeah, exactly. Keys. <laughs> 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 uh, they cheers. Uh, Kirk says to Captain Dunsel, but Bones stops him and says, "No, we are going to cheers to James T. Kirk instead." They drink. And then he says, all I ask for is a tall ship and a star to steer by. James Mayfield, uh, James Maysfield wrote this back in the 20s. And uh, this is repeated, of course, again in Star Trek V, if you recall.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, The bridge then buzzes down. Another contact, but it's not part of the game. Hmm. On the bridge, we find out that it's an old automated ore freighter with no crew. The M5 then goes to red alert, oh no, and starts to head towards it. Kirk turns off the M5 and tells Sulu to slow down and give it wide berth. But Sulu can't stop the ship. Kirk tries to turn off the M5, but again, he can't. The switch isn't working. Scott tries to reverse thrust. Nothing. Dason arrives on the bridge, and the M5 fires photon torpedoes, which everyone tries to stop, but it's no use. The freighter is destroyed. Even Daystrom doesn't understand what just happened.
2: It's it's weird because you'd think that in these technology trials would be more reliable cutoffs.
1: <laughs> Just a switch.
2: Well, that like they've done this before, right? And you don't want things that you can't turn off.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. So you know to go back to my my example of the uh, you know setting the rate right. So you've got <laughs> your computer. You don't want it to be to where you as a person understand oh we're not going to get any of that business yeah right so you may have a piece of business that's coming to town and you're like well i know we're not going to get any of it so don't let the rate go up but the rate keeps going up and you're like no how do i fix it you're like <laughs> well apparently we can't because i'd say why don't we change the rate and they're like well <laughs> <laughs> how would you do that so i do live in the world of m5 yeah apparently mm-hmm. you are awesome. the m5 it's disappointing well, whatever we got automated now that sets the rate. Yeah. But you, you want to be able to exercise judgment. And certainly they have done enough technology testing in the 23rd century to realize that you don't want whatever you've set up yeah. to, to just run wild. Because you will find weird circumstances in which, oh, this isn't what we intended.
0: Yeah,
2: It's taken these three factors and concluded X when we know that there's a fourth factor that totally means not X. Hmm. And yet they can't turn the machine off. I mean, I I guess the explanation is that the self-preservation module was was unexpectedly strong and countered all that. But once again, wouldn't you like build in hard interfaces where you just go, this is a physical switch. Yeah. It, it's not just a digital switch where I turn it off and someone can deactivate my digital switch. It's a physical switch. Now, they do that at the end where the guy walks in front of that thing and the, they hit him with a beam. Yeah. I, they just vaporize the ensign. Interestingly enough, it's Mr. Scott who does it the first time. But the second time, we have a,
1: yeah, we got ensign. a random ensign who does it. Yeah.
2: Which is weird because there's no reason they couldn't have had the ensign do it the first time. And yet, The shot would have shown Mr. Scott supervising. A a little more on, you know, number seven there. There you go. (laughs)
0: There you go.
2: But instead, Mr. Scott does it the first time and the other guy. So that's like the only physical thing that you can interrupt. And then they have to, like, climb through a Jeffrey's tube. Yep. And fiddle with stuff. Instead of just having, here's a physical button. Okay, it's getting no power now. I unplug it. They talk about unplugging it. But they can't physically unplug it. Yep. Have they not done this in the 23rd century?
1: I don't know. I don't know where the kill switch is.
2: You'd think they would have had millions of tests. Yeah. In which they realized you got to have some,
1: some manual shutoffs. So they go down to engineering to try and physically stop the M5. But now the M5 is set up a force field. Dun, dun. And Spock says... Well, it appears that the M5 could not only take care of the ship, but itself as well. Commercial. Back at it. Stardate
2: 4531.2. Now, see, that would have been some interesting stuff, right? So you have the, the, uh, well, let's go to the physical cutoff. All right. It's on deck six. Well, the machine's turned off the lights. We'll just get flashlights. It's changed the life support. There's no air on deck six. Yeah. Well, we'll get suits. You know, and then you get there and then clunk, 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 clunk.
0: Right. you get
2: there and it's like, there's a force field. Right. And you're like, oh. It's it, it's there are layers of defenses to the
0: Yeah.
2: To the because uh, they do. They have all these decks get shut off. And it doesn't mean anything other than M5 is really in charge. Right. And yet you could have had these like these physical kill switches that would have suggested to you, oh, that they've done this before. We you know, like they could have had a conversation. There's always plenty of uh, you know, physical ways to shut down any new testing equipment. Right? We have a protocol. And yet the the Empire has anticipated it all right. because its self defense is too strong. Because they got Dastrums and Grams in there. He's not going to let those guys laugh at him behind their back. We will survive. We are great.
1: Um, Daystrom calls this all a minor difficulty, uh, but even he can't release the M5 at this point. Scotty attempts to disconnect it at the source, but then the M5 kills the Ensign, just like you were saying. It's an accident, says Daystrom, more distraught than ever. He needed more power and the Ensign just got in the way. Spock then makes a startling realization Apparently that the computer
2: is—they've is, is they, used the Windows update software to get that new power. You're like, I don't want to update now. I'm doing stuff. Oh, well, you gotta update.
1: Gotta update it's now, but, it, but sadly, it's Vista, which is why he ends up killing people. <laughs> <because>. <laughs> uh, Spock makes the startling realization that the computer is now drawing power from the matter-antimatter reserves. It's got unlimited power now, says Scott. Yeah, well, what would
2: a computer do with all that power? Just, computing. It just run hot
1: <laughs> That's true. where's the where's the 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 fan to cool this thing down? just yeah, well, turn off the fan.
2: <laughs> That'll do it. It turns out like it's it's reconfigured deck six and just a wall of fans to cool down the CPU. <laughs>
1: Right, exactly. Where do these things come from? Maybe if we pull the plugs on them, being <laughs> be in great shape. So uh, we cut to, at this point, a, uh, a a briefing room scene that we're very uh, fond of. We found out at this point that the M5 has 100% of the control of the ship. Spock thinks that he may be able to circumvent the power. not
2: listening into con- the briefing room.
1: Sorry, your neck cut out. What was it? I
2: mean, if you were the computer, would you listen in? If oh, yeah. Computer, would you not listen into
1: to their briefing? Right, like hell. I would, yeah. Yeah. Reading lips, if nothing else. Spock thinks that they can circumvent the helm control on deck three. Scotty thinks so, too. But now we have a ticking clock. We must fix this before the war games. Which is exactly what I wrote here. Also, I'd be worried about the two thousand and one problem with the M five reading lips, and Hal hearing what Scott's going to do. Maybe he did. Maybe that's why he he yeah. uh, he circumvents it. It's so possible. I never thought of that before. Man, we just keep coming up with alternate and better things that they <laughs> that uh, is in the background and they of the tell episode. Us. Yeah, they just didn't tell us exactly. But and I
2: wonder because I I do think they would have had a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. available right right i mean you know some of the stuff obviously like the relays and circuits where that's time but, but you want to have cutoffs and things like that to to mechanization because you have situations where you do stuff and it doesn't work right the machine is is it breaks something right you're know, like, oh, we need to be able to shut it off. And but they don't have anything. You know, all these uh, fail-safes for a test. You'd think the test would be much more full of fail-safes.
0: Yeah. And so then, of
2: course, course the, the fun of the episode
1: could have been that they defeat the fail-safes. Scott and Spock try to do the thing. Bones takes on Daystrom. Daystrom tries to explain that it's learning. It's getting smarter. The thing is a danger to all of us. They they conclude. Daystrom tries to use the "think of the lives that will save" excuse, but Bones ain't buying it. Back to Scott and Spock toiling away in the Jefferies. Well, I think
2: he believes it, right?
1: You know. So you you hear that
2: today when people are talking about things like uh, the minimum wage or you know should people be working all these service jobs or whatever? No, they could all be writing poetry, doing whatever. Like, yeah, maybe. You know, uh, Andrew Yang, big advocate, he ran on the uh, UBI. Mm -hmm. And his point is that when people don't work, they get hooked on opiates and they commit suicide. Uh Not working is not the goal of the UBI. Letting people, you know, giving them the freedom to choose what productive and satisfying work they're doing is the point. Right. Not that we don't work. Right, it's not that we're all gonna stop working because we're all computers are doing everything and we're just laying back and yeah, opium den. Instead, we're uh, you know like Picard from that episode where they meet the people from the twentieth century. We work because we love to work and we work very very hard. But we don't do it for money. We do it because we love to work so hard.
1: <laughs> back into Kirk's office. Bones tries to convince Kirk that Daystrom is trying to outdo even himself. If a man had a child that had gone antisocial and perhaps even killed, he would still try to protect that child. Ominous. Kirk and Bones meet Daystrom back at the Jeffries tube. Uh, Daystrom tries to stop. But uh, he begs them not to, but they keep doing it. Chekhov then checks the computer at engineering. The helm has rerouted the controls. Oh, no. Kirk goes to Daystrom. The new approach that Daystrom tried with the M5 that we learned about earlier is that he was able to program it with new human engrams to let it outthink humans. So the M5 actually thinks. Sensors are picking up four warships. The war games. They're back underway, and the M5 is going to destroy them. Trill of a flute, and then commercial. <laughs> Back at it, we see four Enterprises flying towards the Enterprise. Uhura is trying to hail the crews of the other four ships, but the M5 is stopping her. Kirk returns to the bridge. Audio from the Lexington. This is an M5 drill. But does the M5 know that this is a drill? Daystrom thinks so. Deflector shields come on. Phasers locking on. Full strength! Hit on the Lexington. The Commodore is confused. Everybody is confused. Damage to the impulse. Engines. The M5 tries to fire again and the Excalibur is hit. The Hood and the Potemkin move off. There's got to be a way to getting to the M5. There's got to be, yells Kirk. Daystrom doesn't think so. He truly looks like a man who's losing it all here.
2: Obviously, Daystrom has not spent a lot of time thinking about how to defeat his own computer. Right. He spent a lot of time thinking about how to have the computer do what the starship needs to be doing. Yep. Not, how would I I get around and defeat it? If I were the Tal Shiar, how would I introduce a virus that shuts down my device?
1: Wesley hails from the Lexington, 53 dead. Jim, what are you trying to prove, he says. Why don't you answer? Kirk grabs Daystrom. There's your murder charge, he says. I think it's weird that the, the Commodore thinks that Kirk is doing it. Right?
2: Yeah. I mean, what's more likely, that the test has gone badly and that the software has been at fault? Or that Kirk has gone rogue.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Firing on four other ships that could easily destroy him. Yeah. I don't know what to do, cries Daystrom. I start to think, if Daystrom treats it like a child, could he yell at it? Convince it it's wrong? Well, that's not the way they do it. Then Spock says, you gave it human engrams. Kirk says, whose engrams? Uh, I don't know, some guy
2: on the street.
1: Yeah, I picked him up. He might have been a hobo. I don't know. I gave him some pizza. He was banging on the
2: door. I didn't know what he wanted, so I used his (laughs) end
1: You don't think he was crazy, do you?
2: Uh, His name was Abby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Oh. Is he laughing to even continue that one? I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> yeah, no. If you don't know it, kids, go watch uh, Young Frankenstein. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, mine, of course, says Damestrom. Then talk to it. Commodore comes up again, relaying to Starfleet. There is an unprovoked attack by the Enterprise. The only way to stop it seems to be to take out the Enterprise. And then I just said the same thing you did. Surely he's realized that the computer must be malfunctioning and it isn't Kirk. Although maybe he's thinking he shouldn't have called him Dunsel. <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> the problem Uh Kirk uses Daystrom's confirmed for the M5 against him. Talk to it. Make it stop the attack. If the Enterprise blows up, the M5 blows up. Daystrom finally agrees. That's what turns him around. You are killing, says Daystrom, murdering people just like myself. This unit was not programmed to do that. It is to save man, not destroy it. But the M five must protect itself," says the M five. "Protect yourself, yes, not murder. Where where are S
2: M O S five or three laws? Five laws. I I added two more. (laughs) Get the pizza here on time, number four. (laughs) That's right.
1: Uh, You must not die. Men must not die. Killing breaks moral and civil laws we've lived with for years," says Daystrom. Laws of God and man. Kirk thinks it's not working, but Spock remains impressed with the computer. Now it comes out. Daystrom, tired of the lecture service, talking to idiots who could never understand his work. Colleagues laughing behind his back, becoming famous on my work, he says. This is a real
2: problem, right? This is the young genius phenomenon. Okay. Right, so Einstein famously says that a a person who has not made his great contribution to science before the age of 30 will never do so. And you have this phenomenon it was way way truer back in the day that all the breakthroughs had been done by young men right newton right in his 20s invents calculus the optics a new way to calculate pi and the physics and then spends the rest of his life like lecturing on the bible hmm. right you all these guys had had all this early all their all their great work had been done when they were young Right. And explanations go to something like, well, when you're young, you're not committed to the old, you know, to the established ways of doing things. You're still willing to shake things up as you get older. You know, these are like, this is the way we've always done it. This works. Don't don't rock the boat or whatever. And uh, now, of course, since the middle of the 20th century, the age at which people have breakthroughs and do their their work has moved into their 30s. Right. So now it would be more like age 40 at which you're probably likely to have done your work. But what he's dealing with is I was a wonder kid, right? I was Isaac Newton. I had all this phenomenal work. I did the optics, the physics, the calculus, uh, invented a new way to to do pi, and various other things that were like to make those other things happen. And what have I done since? People are saying, you know, why keep this guy around? His best days are in the past. No, I can still do amazing things. Yeah. This is his struggle. And, of course, it was. I mean, we've got an Einstein quote, right? Middle, middle of the 20th century. This, this would have been fresh for them. And uh, the idea that a guy like this would be troubled by that, I think, makes a lot of sense.
1: Bones thinks he's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Kirk tells Daystrom, we must destroy the M5! Destroy the M5! Daystrom stutters. He puts his hands on Kirk and then Spock gives him the nerve pinch. Daystrom is carted off to sickbay and Kirk sits in his chair.
2: Now, they don't need to destroy the M5. They just need to unplug it. It it, it needs an update. It has yeah. got a, it needs a patch.
1: It's a patch. <laughs> uh, they cut to the Excalibur. It looks dead. This, of course, was a the same footage they used of the Constitution from... Uh, Many episodes ago. The problem
2: clearly is not that we need to go to M6. M5 is doing just fine. The problem is the M5 is making bad decisions. It needs mm-hmm. a software, not a hardware update, right?
1: Right. Kirk bites his lip. <clears throat> Starfleet responds to the Lexington by telling them to take out the Enterprise. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Maybe Kirk thinks that the uh, M5 is still learning. Maybe he absorbs some of Daystrom's regret. The ships move to take on the Enterprise. Kirk moves to the M5. Uh, This unit must survive. Why? Asks Kirk. The unit says that it, uh, it was made to protect men in space. Men should not die in space. But yet you have murdered many men. This unit cannot murder. Why? It's against God and man, says the M5. But you murdered them. And what is the penalty for murder? Death. So how will you pay for your murder? This unit must die. And the shields drop. The unit is committing suicide. Death by car. Yeah, right? Kurt sends Spock and Scott down to uh, pull the plug in engineering. Kirk monologues to the crew. We're about to be tacked. La la la. Us dying could save our fellow Starfleet members. Do do do. And then in come the ships. The M5 is down. They can't open communications. Kirk tells them to cut all the power. Kill it, kill it all, he says. Then Wesley breaks off the attack. I don't think that this is some kind of ploy, he says. He sees the ship has no power, nor the shields. Kirk smiles in relief. In sick bay, we find out that Daystrom is out. Bones think he'll have to be committed to a rehabilitation center. Spock then asks Kirk, how did you know that Wesley would not fire? It would be a trap the M5 would have set. He says, "I gambled on Wesley." Says Kirk, "I gambled on his humanity."
2: Actually, he gambled incorrectly, right? We know that that Wesley's theory was that Kirk was behind it, mm-hmm. not that the M5 had cleverly laid a computer trap, right? But that Kirk wouldn't like sit there in that situation without uh, without actually being vulnerable.
1: So. The ship took out 53 crew members, uh, killed another, or killed a bunch of others, and Wesley just thinks, well, I hope this isn't a trap. <laughs> True Star Trek right there. Compassion is the one thing that keeps men above computers, says Bones. It's the
2: power of friendship.
1: Spock ponders the idea of taking McCoy's engrams and putting them into a new computer, and the illogical that would cause quite the mishap. Credits! Upon but they do!
2: We know that the EMH is based in part on McCoy.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. Upon airing, reviews of this episode were high. NBC was in second place in the ratings behind, again, Gomer Pyle and the CBS Friday Night Movie. Shazam! Stan Robertson, of course, this episode made it to air, liked this episode so much that he put it on a repeat broadcast in June of 1968 just three months after it, it had first aired. So I guess they liked it. And that's it. That is all we have to say about the ultimate computer, not the obsession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, really great episode, very full of uh, Starfleet things, for sure. For Hell sure. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, that's all I got. Anything else you got to say? No, I think I, I shared all my stuff. I think so, too. Excellent. Well, uh next week is the omega glory i believe so uh get ready for that i feel like i know the name of that episode but have no idea what happened so another fun unknown episode for me it's exciting Well, thank you all for tuning in. Please do all the things, like, subscribe, follow us on whatever podcast catcher that you are listening to, whether that be Spotify or Stitcher. Or hey, if you're on the YouTubes watching us and our funny faces, uh, please feel free to do the same things on there as well. Uh, And leave comments, because apparently that's a big important thing too, from what all the other YouTubers say. Anyway, my name's Matt, coming to you from Austin and coming to you from Planet Houston is uh, my brother Ken, say goodbye, Ken. Live long and prosper. There we are and we will see you all next week.